Hey, everybody. Welcome to the OCA Podcast, where you will find resources to help you care for anyone and everyone affected by foster care and adoption. To find resources to help you, you can visit us online at OrphanCareAlliance.org or find us on social media at OCA Kids. In today's episode, we're going to talk about when adoption doesn't work out like we planned. Our host, Jonathan Butler, sits down with our executive director, Darren Washhausen, our family support director and Darren's wife, Stacia, and Kimber Graves, our regional ministry leader in southern Indiana. Today's guests have all adopted multiple children internationally and are sharing their stories openly and honestly with us so that we might be encouraged whether we find ourselves going through the hard time as an adoptive parent or we are trying to care for those in our lives who are walking through this hard time. We hope you're encouraged as you listen. Kimber, if you want to tell a little bit of your story, kind of how you got into um, utilizing your story to continue to build up the church. Sure. My husband and I have a biological son who's grown, and we adopted two children and became aware of a seven-year-old who needed a home. And we had become very passionate about finding permanency, permanent homes for children in need. So we opened our home brought a third adopted child, fourth child, into our home. This was an out-of-birth-order adoption. So at that time, we had a 12-year-old, a 3-year-old, and a 1-year-old, and we brought a 7-year-old into our home. This was an international adoption, so we had limited information, but with the limited information, we didn't see red flags that caused us concern. We had about one month with this child who joined our family, and the honeymoon was over. Um, We started seeing concerning behaviors, but at that point, not overly concerning, so we just became more vigilant in our parenting, uh, sought out an adoption counselor, and as the months continued, there were escalating behaviors that became safety issues within our home, particularly with the younger two children. So we found ourselves on a journey that we had never anticipated. In our home, Scott and I have always said we would never consider the Ds, divorce and disruption which disruption is a child who has come into your home through adoption leaving your home. We found ourselves about 11 months into this journey uh, in the counselor's office after having encountered several issues that we did not feel equipped not only to protect the three children already in the home but to help the new child heal. And as we were seeking counseling but also talking to medical professionals, it became very apparent to us that in order for this child to heal, she needed to be in another home. And as we left that counselor's office that day, Scott looked at me and said, I think I'm going to throw up. So Mm. we found ourselves then on our hands and knees seeking God's wisdom and his will for how do we help all four of these children have permanency, have healing, and have a childhood where they grow up knowing I'm loved, I'm valued, and I'm cherished. Mm. And long story short, God provided a family whose youngest child was graduating high school. The recommendation was that the seven-year-old be an only child with no other children in the home. And over a course of several months, the families spent time with one another, traveled to spend weekends together, and she transitioned from our home into their care, where she has been ever since. Hmm. That's great. Can you do one thing just for our listeners real quick? You said an out-of-birth order adoption. I know that's huge in adoption in the foster world in a sense of just understanding what that language is. Sure. Can you kind of, because you you specified that, right? Yes. So I'm just curious in a sense of... So when you think birth order, obviously if we're giving birth to biological children, there's a natural succession of order. 
we had our son who was born to us and was the firstborn, and then the next child who we added to the family through adoption was seven years younger than our son, and then the, the next child was another two years younger, so we had 12, three, and one. We became aware of the seven-year-old who needed a home, and we brought the seven-year-old in so it was out of the natural order that you would normally add to your family. Yeah. Which a lot of experts say not to do, right? I mean, that's kind of like you guys were taking a step and be like, hey, we got this. We were we actually understand. advised that. I okay. had people, adoption professionals, who yeah. approached me and said, why are you doing this? Mm -hmm. Because our youngest had only been home for a few months when we started the process. But we were, we were operating from a place of emotion, of seeing this little girl's face and file and knowing we had been told that if a family was not found within a certain time parameter that her file would go back and she would not be able to be placed for adoption. Mm -hmm. So out of emotion, we said, we have room in our hearts and our home in spite of the fact that multiple people said to us, there are serious considerations that you need to look at. Yeah. And so your plan was, Hey, we're bringing somebody into our home and she's going to stay in her home. Yes. And she's going to, and that's, that's our no plan. Options. No options. And we're keeping her here. And this is, you know, my plan is this is how I see, and ultimately that wasn't what happened. Right, right. right. And so there's another, that's kind of how your plan worked. I'd love to hear Darren and Stacia kind of how your all's plan changed as well. I mean, it's, things change, right? I mean, and when mm -hmm. things fail, and, and you guys talk a little bit about that. So, uh, yeah, for us, um, we have three kids. Um, our first uh, is a daughter who's a biological daughter. And at the time that we first adopted, she was 13. And we, um, we had a, an adoption at that point of a 13-month-old and from Russia. And as time went on, we, we were not really engaged much in just other than having a family. Um, we weren't engaged much in anything else, orphan care. Um, but we became more involved in orphan care in 2008. And through that process, you know, you're, you're there because you want to help kids. And um, we felt called. We felt we had room and the ability to adopt another. And um, for us, um, we ended up a little bit like Kimber in that we, we were trying to stay in birth order. Um, but there was a bunch of uh, deception in the adoption process. It was an international adoption from, from uh, Congo. And what we thought was um, that we were adopting a child that was younger uh, than our youngest we, at the time, which was, I think, uh, eight. Um, the the seven-year-old turned out to be 11. And uh, unbeknownst to us and until months later, a few months later, but, um, and, and at this point at an 11 year old, he was old enough to understand that he had been deceived and on his end. And so he's coming into a world where he doesn't speak the language of English well. And, um, he was angry at the world. Um, he felt like we were part of the deception and, uh, he was especially hard on Stasia and, and our daughter. And it grew to a point of uh, safety issues in our home. And some of the professionals that we encountered said, um, if you don't protect your, your now youngest, um, you know, the, the state will end up taking the youngest to protect him for you. 
And so we, we just felt like we were in a living condition for over two years that um, you couldn't really, you know, you weren't living, you were surviving as a, as a family and just trying to protect. And so we, again, were blessed with the ability to not um, disrupt per se, but we had, we found a, a Christian boarding school um, where he, he finished out, um, you know, till he was 18 there. Um, I can happily say that he's, he's doing well at 20 and, um, you know, we probably have a bit of a better relationship, um, now than, than ever before. And he's, he's, he's now at a point where he's pondering his actions of the past and, and we can talk about those. So what, what I love about both of your stories, both Darren, Stacia and Kimber is that there is still connection with the person that did not plan out how you guys planned it, which is really awesome. And I know Kimber, you are still connected with this child and Darren and Stacia, you guys stay connected with your child as well, which brings great, um, great joy to you guys at, at times, heartache, but great joy at the time. Can you speak a little bit about how you've stayed connected if, if that's okay and, and moving into that? Sure. For us, it was, a process, so it obviously was not an overnight decision, just like Darren shared for he and his family. When she moved from our home, we had spent, as I mentioned, several months getting to know this family and spending time in one another's home. We, we owned our part in her story of knowing that our decision, even though it was in the best interest of all four kids, that this was one more layer of rejection for her. And we committed to her and to her new family that we would do and be available to them in whatever means would help her. So in the beginning, that meant us just staying in contact with the parents, and they were so kind. They would send emails a couple times a month and let us know how things were going, what was challenging, and that lasted for two or three years. That gave us time to help our kids heal within the context of our home, and it allowed her to start building attachment to her new family without the confusion of that contact. About three or four years after she had moved, her mom called me and she said, it's time, she really needs to see you, could we meet? So we met um, at a halfway point between each of our houses, we live hours apart, in a state park, had a picnic, and that was the beginning of a new relationship with her. She wanted to know her story and had memories of being in our home. When we saw her, she was so grateful to be able to have that contact and to know that we did not make that decision because we thought she was a bad child. It was the beginning of healing for her. It was the beginning for me as a mom of forgiving myself for not being able to give her what she needed. So from that point forward, we try once or twice a year to get together with the family. And at that time, she asked, our younger children did not have cell phones. She said, may I have your cell phone number so that I can text and talk to the girls? So they now have a relationship talking back and forth. And that was really healing for them because their memories of her and our home were not positive. So they saw, well, this is, this is what occurs when healing happens. And so she's now 20 years old, a lovely young lady who actually was a part of encouraging us to take our family back to the girl's birth country of China mm -hmm. because they are all from China. So it's been a really beautiful process to see not only, we, we talk a lot in the adoption community about redemption and restoration for the kids being adopted, but there was redemption and restoration for us as parents who felt that we had failed her and for our children in our home who saw, okay, 
just because this didn't turn out how we wanted it to doesn't mean that there can't still be purpose um, and a story that God can use to encourage others who may be facing similar situations. Yeah, I love that. Darren, Stacia, you guys are still, your child's still moving to that and then re- and seeing that. But I've, as you've sh- shared stories with me, there's still, there's still movement in that, correct? Well, for us, um, our son has always had a relationship with Darren. Um, he's communicated with him, you know, either he's called Darren, Darren's called him, um, about on average every other week. Um, up until recently, he's not wanted anything to do with me at all. Um, he's now asking to speak to me. Um, it's, it's a process. Um, we're not there yet, but I'm not saying that it, you know, one way or the other is right or wrong, but it's a process for our family. Um, the thing, you know, he's always learned about our family from Darren, you know, he knows what's going on in our family. And, you know, I think the hurt on all sides is something that everybody's got to work through the child, the parents, other kids in the home. And I think it's a process that for me personally, I'm working through now. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, yeah, I have had a, um, you know, my, my relationship or a lot of the discussion we had was extremely rocky for the longest time. And, uh, you know, but as, as he's gotten a little bit older and he's looking back, um, he's starting to see, you know, I guess I'll call it the bigger picture that we really didn't deceive him and that we have been a constant. I mean, it's amazing how he, he tells me that, you know, that I'm this constant and, and he asked me now questions like, you know, about adulting, if you will. Um, you know, he's, he's like, Hey, I've got this decision. Um, I got a choice of this kind of job or this kind of job, or I was thinking about this and, you know, and so I just continue to be there for him and, and, uh, you know, it, it's, it's been a process. I mean, I don't know else to say it either, but <clears throat> the other thing I'll say is that, you know, somewhere along the way, when you're going through all this, um, the, you know, there were professionals around us and, and, you know, you're feeling like a failure as, as Kimber was saying. And, um, you know, they're like, look, this, this may not be the, you know, the adoption story you had in mind, but you, you have dared to connect to this child in the best way possible. And you have, um, still provided for him a better life than he would have seen probably with where he was at the moment. And, uh, you know, so your failure is still a success for him and, you know, and the story is not over, but right now at this point in the story, the best thing for, for you to do for everybody is to be a part, you know, and, and, and so that's, you know, it doesn't, it's a, it's not trying to justify the fact that something major like that's happened in your family, but, but there is a perspective to it that you, you've tried to do your very best, you know, with the resources and, and everybody involved, you know, that, that you had. I mean, if I did anything wrong, some people would tell me and had, did tell me that, you know, my resilience probably taxed the rest of our family almost to destruction in some ways. 
And, uh, you know, so it, it wasn't, what I did wasn't great, you know, I mean, um, because I hung on so long. And so it, you know, I think, um, as I've worked with OCA the last year, um, one thing I've, I keep seeing a theme in adoption communities and foster care communities is this, is this willingness to embrace hurt and pain on the parents end. Right. Um, can you speak to that and like what, cause our audience is varied. So we're going to have people that are listening to this that are potential adoptive or foster parents that are on the fence about getting involved. There are also maybe church leaders that are like, do I really want to lead my church into this world? Um, and as people that have both experienced great pain, I, I would assume I'm not an adoptive parent or a foster parent, but I would assume that most foster and adoptive parents deal with whether their child stays in the home like they planned or whether it's a story like this where it kind of just doesn't work out the way you thought it was, there's still hurt and pain and trial involved in this effort. And I would love to just hear your experience on that and not necessarily personally, but like maybe some words of encouragement that you would share with a parent, a potential parent, a church leader that's like, do I really want to put my church into this messy world? of foster care and adoption um, as we deal with vulnerable people and families. Absolutely. I think one of the biggest things that I learned through this process, which I had heard, but hearing it is different from experiencing it, living it out, is all adoption begins with loss. We tend in the adoption community to focus on the parts that God is redeeming and restoring. The miracle of adoption is a phrase that we often hear. And sometimes we do that to the detriment of acknowledging that any child placed in our home who we did not biologically carry is there because something tragic happened in their world. So we are embracing that tragedy and that part of their story. I mentioned that two of my three kids were also adopted. So as we have parented them, not only through our situation, but just through their own stories, through returning to their birth country, there is loss, there's grief, there are questions about why couldn't I remain in my home? Why did my story turn out the way that it did? And so while I think all parents, even parents of biological kids, we're going to find our children experiencing disappointment and heartache. We embrace pain because we're parents. The adoption and foster journey takes us to a whole added level of loss and pain that we have to be willing to press into it. And sometimes the way that we press in and go forward is by looking back. It's looking back at not only how did our child's life start, but looking at our own hurts. How, how do our own hurts inform how we parent and respond? Darren mentioned his resiliency and his wanting to hang on. For me and my story, it was, it was looking at what are the parts of my own past that keep me from being available emotionally to my children so that I can sit with them in the pain. So to anyone considering it or anyone in the journey, I cannot emphasize enough how important your presence is. And that means if your child is weeping, when scripture says weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who mm -hmm. rejoice, it means sitting on the floor while a child is bawling their eyes out and bawling with them and mm -hmm. reassuring them that even though you cannot fix what occurred for them to join your family, that you love them enough to listen, to mm -hmm. be there. So what question am I answering? <laughs> yeah. So, so just, you know, a couple things I think through when I hear that is like, oh. um, hurt is a, can be, and pain can be a redemptive tool that God uses in our lives, right? As Christ followers. 
to make us more like Jesus ultimately. Um, but how, I mean, like, how have you navigated that hurt? And how have you seen, I think a question I have for you guys, because you're still in the midst of it. But then also, like, you know, we have Andrew sitting right here with us, helping with the podcast, who's your other adoptive child. And it's, you know, it's going like you would expect it to go in terms of it's it's working out, right? And so you have this one story of things not being great, and then you have another story of God's redemption, and it's you know it's 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 working like you mm-hmm. planned. Um, so that's cool. But like, how has God shaped you and formed you? Because uh, sometimes we get so focused on I think the 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 story of adoption that we forget like God's also forming and shaping you as parents, well, right? Yeah, I mean, I think. Um... I think that for me, um, probably thinking way back, you know, there was a bit of, we, and we joke about this sometimes now, but as we started, you know, as we raised our daughter and she was at this point 13, you know, we thought we were pretty good parents. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and a, and a bit of, you know, I don't know if it was, <clears throat> it was a, it was probably a combination of some pridefulness, um, lack of information about, you know, the journey of adoption at this point in time, which was early 2000s. Um, you know, the, the, the church overall at this stage was gung-ho about getting involved, but they had little to no experience of what it's like once you're involved, right? And you're talking about your local church. I'm talking about church in general. Oh, the, okay. I, you could pick any of them at okay. that point, I think. And this was um, when? This is early 2000s. Okay. So, you know, for us, the, the church was not necessarily um, an option to turn to. Um, it was at this point, because the, the big press was the accelerator was adopt more, adopt more, adopt more. And by the way, they're all in other countries. We're great here, which, you know, that was just another stage of the maturing of the church's knowledge of and understanding of adoption. But um, so, so, you know, we came in a bit prideful, a bit underinformed, and and those kind of things. And I mean... You know, so from a, from what God really wants for us, which is to seek Him, I think it really caused us to, you know, become much closer to where God wanted us to be um, in this journey. And then, you know, for us as leaders of OCA, um, you know, at some point you're going, oh my gosh, why are we in the front of this, this ministry? But, you know, um, it's sort of like um, for these people that have had this struggle, it's sort of like people who are on the fringe of divorce, they don't want to go to a couple who's had a joyful 30-year marriage to talk about, you know, their potential for splitting up. They want to talk to the couple that has maybe thought about divorce and maybe divorced and been back together again to learn how that restoration occurred. And I think that's maybe how God's used us through part of this is that when we do get these calls for families, you know, we, we can they will listen because we have been on some of their journey and they will listen to the resources we try to help them with and the people we try to point them to. And some of our, some of our experiences serve as advice for them. Um, and so there, there's this huge humility that for me has come over me about the story has a purpose for somebody, even though it's not the story I was setting out for, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Um, and, and a lot of that, you know, I think God is just kind of using you and you start to realize that and you just, you're doing the best you can every day and, you know, it goes from there. Mm. So. And for me, I think finding that person 
you know, I think what Darren was saying, you know, God brings you to that point where you can use your story to help others. Kimber was a savior for us, mm. you know. Um, so it's, it's still an emotional thing, so we'll yeah. just leave it there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even in this hurt and pain as you sit, in this room, you guys don't get the joy of sitting in the room as I do, but um, there are, I'm sitting with three joyful, joy-filled people. And so that, that I'm not an adoptive parent, I'm not a foster parent as well, but I get to learn and sit with people who have sat in the hurt and sat in the pain, and yet through the midst of it, the story is I'm still bringing life. Jesus is still bringing life. And that's the joy that we get to do at OCA. And that's the, um, even in the emotion, as I sit across from Kimmer and as I sit um, next to the station, just there's emotion pouring in this room because there's hurt and there is pain. But as we've talked about story, just the story continues to be told. And that's our hope at OCA is to continue to tell the story. And the desire is to move that into the church. And Darren talked a little bit about the church's role. And our desire is the church to be that conduit to move that hope to move in that hurt and pain to provide that life-giving joy Mm -hmm. and so as you guys have stepped into it as you've walked in it i'd love to know answer whatever question but what did the church do well for you And, and i'm talking about church as a building to an extent but really church as a family as a relationship um, because as Christians, we're called for relationships, and that's what this is about, right? All of this is about relationships. And so where did you see the church do well? Again, it doesn't have to be building, but people, you can talk about that. Or where could the church have done better? You can answer both. Just kind of what are your thoughts on that? Well, as Darren mentioned, we also adopted all three of the ones we adopted in the early 2000s, and that was during what I call the cheerleading phase of adoption. So it was going to conferences and hearing people say, James 127, rah, rah, go get a kid. But there was very little information about trauma, grief, loss. How do we help these children heal? How do we change our own parenting to help them heal? So when we started encountering significant troubles, we were attending a small church plant that was a satellite campus of a larger church in the area. They didn't know what to do with us as a church body. However, what I will say is the pastor of that church took my husband to breakfast, sat across the table from him, and said, I don't really have a clue what to do for you, but I want you to know that I love you, and we're here for you. Tell us how we can help. That was one conversation that helped us know we're still safe coming to church. It was, it was very hard, especially once we'd made the decision for her to move, because there were people who did not know what to do with us. The, some would step 20 feet around us because they didn't know what to say. Others, there were a handful that we received some hurtful comments of judgment because they didn't understand the situation. But what God did through that time for us was in spite of the church's lack of information was he brought individuals. So just as Stacia referenced me, there was someone ahead of me in this road who didn't live here, lived out of state in Tennessee, but who had been through a very similar situation. And on a day when I thought I really couldn't put one foot in front of the other, she called and she said, I, 
I understand from a mutual friend, I knew her on an acquaintance level, that these things are occurring. And then she proceeded to say, I'm guessing that you might feel some mix of, and she nailed every emotion that I was feeling. And I was sitting in the car in the parking lot at Panera Bread sobbing as another Christian sister validated what I was experiencing. And she said, I want you to know you're not a bad mom. You just don't have the tools. You, you don't know what to do. So that was the beginning of me understanding there are people who I can open up to. Uh, I had other friends, she was in the adoption community, I had other friends who had not adopted or fostered who just said to me, we're clueless, we don't know what to do. Can we bring groceries over? Can we keep the other kids so that you can have a night uh, with the other one? So there were individuals who God used to speak life to us during that time to say, we love you, we don't understand and we're trying really hard not to judge because the appearance, what you saw at church on Sunday was very different because children who've encountered trauma often can hold it together in public and then what it unleashes at home. Mm -hmm. So those friends who believed us and that pastor just saying, I don't know what to do, but I'm willing to walk this road, mm -hmm. uh, were really the beginning for us as a family of saying, we have two choices with this story. We can steward this story well and say, okay, Lord, I I'm holding open hands and saying, I will share openly and appropriately without disclosing details about the children or I can bury my head in the sand in shame and wear a scarlet letter A for the rest of my life. And God very clearly spoke to me in particular as the mom and said, hold your hands open, share your story, and be to other people what this friend from Nashville had become to me. So it's, it's kind of like this, this ministry of presence. And so when I, when I was a young, I've been in ministry for a long time, and when I was a young minister, I remember uh, this this kid's uh, dad died just tragically all of a sudden on our first wedding anniversary. So, you know, I'm pulled away from our first wedding anniversary trip. I need to be at the funeral. And I remember going up to this kid's mom and thinking I was helping at 23 by saying, my, I lost my mother at, at, as a kid as well. And so I remember saying, like, I know what you're going through. Death is hard. And how she just stared at me with these horrible blank eyes, like, who are you? kid, you know, and then I learned, oh, she just needed me to be there. She didn't need me to have answers. She just needed me to go, it's okay that you're sad. It's okay that you're grieving. It's okay that you feel like you can't take this next step. And so now as a minister, uh, you know, with ministry experience, I hear you saying these things and I'm like, I've never connected it before in this year of working with you guys that, you know, a pastor maybe, or a minister or a Christian that has no idea what the specifics of adoption and foster care are because I don't because I don't have one in my I don't I don't have that life experience but I can go oh maybe it's just the ministry of presence it's just me going this is tough this is traumatic this is hard I have no idea what to do but as a pastor in a church we can just be there for you which is so much better then the question, have you prayed about this? Mm. <laughs> really? Yes. We, right. We've been believers for decades. Of course, we're praying about this. But yeah. the people saying, I don't know, but I'm here, meant far more mm. than any theological exposition that was offered to us during yeah. that time. Yeah. I, and I think that's a lot of what it is, is just being there, not judging that family, listening to their story. And if you don't get it, don't say that you get it. Um, just listen and you know like Kimber said maybe take another child 
you know, bring groceries, take another child out for that family, or, you know, don't say that you get it when you've never experienced it. Just be there to listen. Um, and, you know, that's really what it comes down to. Don't ask, don't say, don't have you prayed that that's not going to get us anywhere. Believe me, we've prayed <laughs> day in, day out about this. So just being that listening person, that understanding, don't avoid us, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you see us coming, don't, don't walk across the hall to stay away from us, you know, just be somebody who listens. I think that's the biggest advice for me, um, besides Kimber, we had um, Lucy, who was our other person who just listened to me. She had a child in a similar situation, and her and I would go into the office, and she would just listen to what I was telling her was happening in our home, and it wasn't a judgment about, oh, that really can't be happening. It's I'm here. I'm, I hear what you say and, you know, not offering a judgment against me and just, you know, giving me her phone number and saying, call me anytime, you know, I'm here to listen. So I think that's the biggest piece of advice. Mm. Well, and I, you know, at the time, um, going back to that time frame again, um, you know, in 2003, the, the church was on, on the kind of, you know, Go, go adopt. Um, and, and the only people that really were out there either had experienced this in some way or the professionals. And, you know, I'd like to think that, you know, how we've, like Kimber and us have been used is that I feel like we have done more to put this, you know, through our Help Hope Heal and things like that conference, um, that we've done more to try and put this information out there not not as professionals, we, are, we still refer and use them, but I think we've tried to make more information available to more people about being prepared um, for the journey and helping them to equip better. And maybe some people say no early on, but maybe they're saying no for the right reasons too, you know. Um, and, and if they are, that's good. But if they are called in, hopefully they're going in a little better equipped because of the work that OCA is doing throughout you know, this area. So, yeah. And so as I, I listen to that story and it, as Matt, so, um, so eloquently stated just in a sense of, as I've been in the church my whole life as a pastor son, uh, my grandfather was a pastor, just know the church world. Sometimes we can go in and there is this best foot forward as Kimber was saying, and we can't present ourselves, our pain, our hurt. And so what I'm hearing us say is this can be a lonely place. This can be a lonely place. It's sh- it can present shame to say my plan's not working. I'm loving this kid. All you told me to do was to love this kid. God, I'm following your call that you that I feel you've placed on my heart, and it's like this isn't working. And so as we as we are created by and for relationships. That's our desire is to build the church up and to leverage the knowledge and expertise that we bring so that you can move out and provide that life-giving hope. And as we close, as we kind of finish out here, one thing that Darren, um, Darren always says in our office is he has four Ps. He says patience, prayer, persistence, and he added this last one this last year, which we've said it, is presence. 
And so the presence of just us being, right? I don't have to say anything. Kimber doesn't have to say anything, but just us being is what makes such a difference. And so Kimber, Darren, Stacia, thanks for your stories. Anything else that you guys would like to add just in closing? I think I would want people to know if they have been given the opportunity to love a family walking through a similar situation, just as Stacia and I have shared about the presence, is I think somewhat in hearing you talk, Matt, about the death of somebody, I hear many people who've lost a close person say, nobody will say that departed person's name, and it makes me miss them. Well, thank goodness there was not a death in our family, but we had a loss in our family, and we committed to that child because we loved her, and we wanted the best for her, and we still do, and one of the greatest gifts in addition to presence has been those individuals in my life who through the years, it has been well over a decade now since she moved, people who will say, hey, how is she doing? And then allow me to give an update. It, it brings me great joy to be able to talk about her because I did love her, I do love her, and I will always feel committed to her even though the plan didn't go the way that it did. So I would say that's, that's something that I would want people to know walking alongside. And for anyone listening to this who may be struggling right now, I want you to know that you are not alone. That even though there is a tremendous sense of isolation and failure and shame, there are people who have been down that road, people who want to love you. And at OCA, it's why we're so passionate about helping the church, about helping leaders and Christians and fellow believers link arms and say, how can we serve and love you better? So we don't want anybody hearing this to walk this road alone. R reach out to us. And I guess the only thing I would say is that, um, you know, more, more than... Um, these are relationships, right? We're talking about relationships that are hard um, with children. And the only thing I would tell you is if you're, if you're on the, the block of do I, do I do this or why do this, it's because you would need to know that relationships heal children and even hard relationships are better than no relationship. And uh, so, you know, those kids that are out there all need healthy, loving relationships as hard as they might be. So if you're thinking the journey, we encourage you to continue to, to move forward, but um, just move forward with your eyes open. One last thing, God's still writing our story. As you've heard, both their stories, their plans did not work how they had planned it. God's story is still greater than our story, and the journey is still working to move to redemption and restoration for life-giving joy. Thanks again for listening. We hope you are encouraged no matter where you find yourself in your journey. Our vision at OCA is to see the body of Christ lead the way in caring for all those affected by foster care and adoption. Find us online at orphancarealliance.org or reach out to us via email at info at orphancarealliance.org. We're also on all social media channels as OCA Kids. Remember, one person can't do everything, but everyone can do something. Find your something today at orphancarealliance.org.